Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week on Truth and Movies, there's something strange in the neighbourhood in director Lenny Abrahamson's gothic chiller, The Little Stranger. This house works on people. Girls come here like specks of grit. Ten years later, they leave as pearls. Someone has spiked the punch in Gaspar Noé's drug-soaked dance flick, Climax. And this week's film club pick really ties the podcast together. It's the Coen Brothers cult classic, The Big Lebowski. Nobody calls me Lebowski. You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude, man. All to come on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. And we're back again. It's Michael Leader here in the host chair, sitting across from, I guess it's, it's something of a, an all-star lineup today, David Jenkins, Grand Fromage of Little White Lies. Hey there. And Adam Woodward from Little White Lies as well. Hi. We have a special guest coming in for Film Club uh, to assess uh, what condition the Big Lebowski's condition is in after 20 years' time. But I suggest we crack on, shouldn't we? Let's get familiar with our first film, The Little Stranger. So The Little Stranger, adapted from the novel by Sarah Waters, Donald Gleeson stars as Dr Faraday, a country doctor in the late 1940s, who is called to tend to some odd goings-on at Hundreds Hall, home to the once grand heirs family who have fallen in hard times. Here's a clip. How did you find the patient, Doctor? Mrs Ayres. Uh, Mother, this is Dr Faraday. He thinks we're brutes. Little under the weather. I imagine she'll be quite well by tomorrow. You'd observe a change in Betty yet. This house works on people. Girls come here like specks of grit. Ten years later, they leave as pearls. I expect Dr Faraday's thinking Betty won't stick it out for ten years. Most girls rather work in factories these days, and who can blame them? As it happens, I was thinking of my mother. She was a maid here before I was born. Well... I do hope she enjoyed her time. So that was Donald Gleeson, Ruth Wilson and Charlotte Rampling there. Uh, David, uh, did you enjoy your time at Hundreds Hall? Do you know what? I did, um, weirdly. It's a film that's actually had a bit of a weird gestation, I guess. Um, Just to add some context, is Lenny Abramson. He's the director of the film Room, Mm -hmm. which uh, ended up getting Brie Larson her Best Actress Oscar. And I think there was maybe quite a lot of anticipation as to what he would how he would follow that film up. And I suspect he had plenty of offers because he was also nominated for Best Director himself. Mm. And there's something about this film, like within about 30 minutes, I was just thinking to myself, why this? 
you know, he had the key to the kingdom and, and he, he sort of chose this kind of quite sort of strange, sedate, quite dour period ghost story. And I'm watching and watching it and, and just sort of trying to work out that kind of the why of it all. And, and yeah, it ended up sort of weirdly clicking with me in the end. I mean, he does tend to make films that do have a little bit more heft to them and you do, you know, you have to sort of think around them more. They may be a little bit more conceptual and a little bit less kind of based on just kind of plot twists and simple kind of relief or simple like twist endings and stuff like that. But so, yeah, you have Donald Gleeson, who I might add here just as a little kind of bit of rough tittle-tattle that I'm not a fan of him. In general? In general. He's a turn-off for me. He, he's yeah. someone who I can't think has given me much pleasure in his mm. in his performances. Um, I totally understand that he's well-liked and he, he seems to be quite ubiquitous as well. I mean, he's, you know, he's in like blockbusters and then smaller dramas like this and then the you kind of, you know, indie films as well. And he, he is that kind of ubiquitous character actor and he just never quite nails it. And, and I found him possibly the weak link in this this right. film. He's the main character, this, this kind of country doctor. The theme of the film is um, in the year 1919, the sort of setup. sorry, when he was a small boy, he, from a slightly more impoverished background, there was a big fate at this big country stack, Hundreds Hall, and he was allowed to go along. And because his mother was friends with one of the servants there, he also got to like adventure into the house. Mm. And... He was bowled over by the opulence and it's a film about class, I think. Mm. And it's a film about, you know, a guy who, from a very young age, aspires to sort of raise his lot in life somehow. That kind of theme is sort of in, sits in the background of the film the whole time. And, and sort of Lenny Abrams and, and screenwriter Lucinda Coxon don't really push it too far into the fore. I'm sort of skirting around this idea of whether I liked it or not. I thought <laughs> it was it was a film that I thought was good. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I liked it or, or would watch it again. Like uh-huh. it's, I think, I think it was, I, I thought it was really interesting and it kind of hit me in a weird way at the end, but it was quite unexpected and maybe too subtle to really make, a, make that kind of full connection really. Did it make a connection for you, Adam? Yeah, I actually think I would like to watch it again because mm-hmm. I feel like first time around I missed something mm-hmm. or there's maybe other things going on that I wasn't maybe paying attention to first time around. You describe it quite accurately as a as a ghost story and it's got all these gothic elements, but there isn't really like a focal point in terms of it being a ghost story, there being a character of a ghost or any real like ghostly elements. I mean, he's the sort of creepy character, I guess, in, in, in the centre of it. And I think maybe he's a bit miscast because it feels like... I always expect him to play these kind of roles. I always expect him to play someone who's a bit... There's something a bit off about him. So right from the word go, you're kind of expecting this twist or you're expecting him to reveal his true nature. And he kind of does in in, in parts, but like you say, they don't really push that too much. Mm. So, yeah, I didn't really get on with his his character. And I think Donal is, is... Usually I quite like him, actually, but didn't think he was particularly well-placed in this. I think the weird thing about this film, actually, and maybe it's sort of counterintuitive to enjoyment is that he's pretty much a dullard. That's his kind of like key trait. I mean, he's a very sort of dull, sensible guy who doesn't show any real feelings. Mm-hmm. And like, that's great. And I think in Sarah Waters' novel, I, I think that kind of character would work because you can go inside their head a bit more. But on screen, it actually just comes right. off, off as boring. Mm-hmm. There, there are some sequences 
these flashback sequences I mentioned before where Donald Gleason's narrating. It's one of the worst narrations ever. Like, mm. not, not the text, but the delivery. It's sort of like, it sounds bored. It sounds like he's sort of phoning it in kind of thing. Um, well, he's adopted this sort of aspiring class RP accent, hasn't he? Yes. Which is not something you've heard from Donald Gleeson before, and it's not what you'd expect to be coming out of his mouth. Well, he, no, I think he's playing Mr. Christopher Robin man again. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I did miss Goodbye, uh, okay. Christopher Robin, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> sorry, what's the guy's name he plays in Christopher Robin? Um, is it A.A. Milne? A.A. Milne, of course, yeah. yes. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> yeah, I think there's just something a bit tonally off about this film as well. There's a moment fairly early on where a young child is like a gathering of people they're sort of loosely connected to each other but they all they've all got some connection to the family or or to the house and it's just like a dinner party and a child is basically attacked by a dog Mm -hmm. but the moment it happens it's i found it quite confusing there's something quite jarring about the the framing of it and the way they kind of bring in there's like a a noise i'm sure i'm not exactly sure what it is i'd like to rewatch it to find out but there's a kind of really chilling like almost like dull thud noise and I was completely baffled as to what was happening. I thought it was suddenly going to flip and there was going to be some real ghost element to it. And it sort of transpires that she's just been attacked by this dog. And it's it's set up in a really clumsy way, I think, that. Mm. Um, yeah, that just... It was it was something like the film's reaching or trying to, you know, go for this, like, shocking, ghostly feeling. It doesn't really quite pull it off. But it doesn't milk those moments either. Like, I quite like the fact that he teases it a little bit, you know, he sort of... The camera will sort of flick over and see her kind of scrabbling in the background while the you know you know that something's about to happen, but then if this was on paper set out as a kind of full bore ghost story, he would have milked that sequence for all it's worth yeah. really. I and mean, he, and he it's doesn't. not something like the woman in black or the, no. it feels like there's been quite a, a few of these types of stories on screen recently, mm-hmm. so maybe that's why it doesn't feel particularly interesting or fresh. But yeah, it isn't that kind of mainstream slightly glossier version of, of what this could be. So, so what is it? We've we've spoken about it on these sort of terms as a I still don't clash know, conscious really. drama, a chilling mystery. There are also romantic elements with Ruth Wilson's character and Donald Gleeson, but a sort of sinister romance, a gothic romance. Does any of these come to the fore? It's like an anti-ghost story and an anti-romance and a kind of social mobility parable, mm. all wrapped up in a sort of dude country vintage um, costume drama. <laughs> I, don't yeah. think, I don't think any of those elements are interesting enough on their own terms to really like elevate the film or mm-hmm. make it about something more than that. It, it just feels like there's a lot of disparate themes or even connected themes from the novel that he's, he's taken and, and latched onto and then really struggled to actually meld them into a single film. On a more positive note, I, w- I would say that I think that it's actually really beautifully directed by mm-hmm. Lenny Abramson. It's not a kind of cameras whizzing about and he's quite restrained and it really works for the material and I also thought that the thing that really carries the film is actually the Ruth Wilson's character Mm. who is the sort of tragic sort of heroine of the film who is trapped in this bind between wanting to escape her past and wanting to sort of sit sit on the country stack and retain it for for into the future whatever that may bring to her and um she feels like she's the only one cast in the film who really sort of, you know, whose actual real person connects with the role. Mm. Like you don't feel that she's sort of straining at all for effect. Because uh, you've also got Will Poulter, her brother, who, who is a pilot from the war who's been like, who's come back with massive scarring. He's sort of slipping into sort of mild insanity. 
you know, he 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 gives a decent performance, but for him it, it feels like a performance. Where I think mm. Ruth Wilson is the only one who feels like she's sort of really in the material. She's really uh, the only normal one as well. Yeah. I think you need that character to ground it in something that feels a little bit less literary and a little bit more real. And mm. right, shall we put our scores on this uh, in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect? Um, David, I'll come to you first. Well, I would say probably anticipation was three. Again, the donal issue is problematic, but I really like Lenny Abramson and all, you know, I'm really keen to see what he does. So three and enjoyment probably a three as well. I mean, it had pros and cons for me. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the full package, but at the same time, it I think it it surprised me in some in, in some nice ways. And yeah, I think a three as well. I mean, there's definitely stuff that is a film that you can see, and even if you liked it or didn't like it. I think you could spend some time discussing mm. why for quite a while. You know, different people could have different reads on this on this material, mm. which is always a good thing, I think. Adam? Yeah, I think a three, just based on the strength of Room and also I quite like Frank, which is Abrahamson's mm. previous one. Um, possibly a two at the time. I just found it, as I say, quite jarring and didn't, didn't quite click with me. But maybe a three in retrospect, I would quite like to. There's something about it that is feels like it's been left unfinished or... or you know, mm-hmm. I, I've got this urge to revisit the film for some reason, even mm-hmm. though I didn't particularly enjoy the experience of watching it. Okay, well, that was Little Stranger. I mean, if you want to challenge Dave's assertions about Donald Gleeson, you can do so at the usual channels at LW Lies, Truth T- Movies. Tell us, yeah, tell us Donald Gleeson's greatest moments. Yes, Truth Movies, <laughs> TCOLondon.com or uh, slash podcast comment section. Please come flying in. I personally love him in dread. Oh, yeah, no. Dread is a, is just a masterpiece in general. So also, ev- ev- everything and everyone in that film is good. I think he's one of, in one of the early Black Mirrors. He is right. He, he's very good in that. Mm. I think since then he's tended to like play a lot of those types of quite stilted, mm-hmm. not may- maybe creepy, but there's something uh, there's something a bit off about his characters. He's in Star Wars as well. Yes, General Hux. Yeah, I think he's great as General Hux. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Such a good foil to Adam Driver, especially in The Last Jedi. Uh, we should move on, though. Coming up, we have Gaspar Noé's new film, Climax. So, Climax, this is the latest from the provocative Argentinian filmmaker Gaspar Noé, chronicling one wild wintry night as a dance party turns into a nightmare. The sangria has been spiked with LSD and all and sundry are sent spiralling into a psychedelic meltdown. So, Adam, you reviewed this out of Cannes. Uh, You referred to Gaspar Noé as something of a lovable rogue. Could you explain who he is and how this fits into his shtick? Yeah, so he's an Argentinian filmmaker, probably been making films for about 20 years or Mm. so at least since the sort of mid to late 90s and he lives in Paris and he makes most of his films in French most notoriously and, f- and most famously probably Irreversible mm-hmm. with Monica Bellucci and Vincent Cassel I'd say that's still the one that people tend to think of when they think of Gaspar Noé uh, but since then he's done Enter the Void and we were in, in Cannes a few years ago when his 3D sex opera love screened there which is quite a fun experience but yeah this one was uh, back in Cannes but in a sort of sidebar competition Mm -hmm. strand and uh, I don't know I wasn't really like massively hopeful for this I think just based on love which is his sort of attempt to do a more earnest more kind of like um, low-key melodrama and then throw in just some gratuitous 3D shots of various genitalia this one didn't really like appeal to me on paper Mm. but actually at the opening sort of 10, 15 minutes of the film, I think is some of the best work he's ever done. Basically right. opens in this abandoned or seemingly abandoned 
uh, like warehouse dance studio and we just had this dance troupe and they, they're rehearsing and they break into this amazing, it's this like techno house number that's, that's sort of being played by a DJ and the camera is basically like following them around, mostly from, from the kind of top of the room down on the on the dancers and, and we're just watching them rehearse for about five ten minutes mm. yeah it's an amazing really captivating really quite enthralling scene mm. and it has in terms of the way it's shot he's throwing the camera around he's moving to vertical shots uh, from above and yeah it's I really mean, not not the sort of dance sequence you'd normally see in films no, you, you'd, normally you'd have like a kind of locked off shot Mm-hmm. That would just you know be be fairly static, and this one he's really getting in amongst the dancers mm-hmm. and you know flying in in and around the, their limbs and I mean you watch it thinking how the hell did they choreograph this because mm-hmm. not just the actual dance sequence itself which is amazing but the actual the dynamic camera movements and the way the way they've actually like put it together and then eventually you just stop caring and you kind of lose yourself in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely like opens with a real bang and and sort of tails off a little bit even though it gets more crazy and more intense right loses some of that energy and some of that intrigue i think david are you in the pocket for gaspar um mm, no (laughs) (laughs) i think it's funny that it's called climax because i totally agree because like a climax would infer that it kind of like crescendos to something big at the end, whereas actually the reality is it kind of the big thing happens right at the beginning and then it sort of dim, diminuendos. Is that is that oh, the yeah. <laughs> I don't know? Is that the opposite? It's a sort of premature ejaculation, isn't it? Exactly. So it sort, of, it sort of just goes. And for me, yeah, it kind of it's a big explosion at the beginning. In fact, that element of it made me dislike the film more because I think it filled me with so much false hope. I was watching it for the first 10 minutes with this extraordinary dance sequence which is like something out of like singing in the rain or something it's proper mm. kind of it feels like he's doing some kind of modern riff on the kind of classic era MGM musical I was like slack jawed watching this this thing that scene stops and then the story kicks in about the the spiked punch and it just lost me it turned from this very kind of rigorous piece of filmmaking into this quite kind of slapdash improvised kind of mayhem you know just the camera floating around I mean he does this thing in quite a lot of his older films he's he's sort of developed this thing I think he calls it like the ghost cam Mm. you know what I mean by that where it's a floating camera yeah so in Enter the Void it was literally like this young teenage guy shot and then the, Mm. the rest of the film like two hours of the film is then viewed from his ghost floating at the top of a room looking down on a room and he sort of films a lot of this in that kind of ghost cam so you know there were no characters there mm. was there was you know it was really difficult to understand motivations and what you know I, I know looking for logic in a film like this is just like a fool's errand but yeah. on that sort of you know level of pure kind of visual exuberance I just couldn't really connect to mm. it just as a little detail the the film opens with all the characters like doing a kind of audition tape like just talking about themselves and why they want to be in this dance troupe and and it's quite a kind of fun cute little opening it's seen on a tv screen like a kind of old tube tv screen and sort of stacked either side are vhs tapes that they're all his like films that he references in all his movies so you got Salo in mm-hmm. 2001 
And you've also got this film Possession mm -hmm. by Andrzej Zalewski. And I think one of the things that happens in the film, although, although you're meant to think it's just a funny joke and he's just put all these kind of like, you know, canonical art house films stacked up against this TV, I think he also is kind of, he drops in little references to quite a lot of them as well throughout the film. So it's kind of, the film is also a sort of, spot the reference kind of thing and, and and on that level I didn't even like it on that level really <laughs> it doesn't rise to those films do you think no not really I mean it's interesting what you're talking about the the sort of camera work that ghost cam and I think he's desperately trying to convince you that it's really loose and spontaneous but actually even later on in the film it is obviously quite staged and choreographed and I think the camera's intended to sort of mirror the the characters fractured psyches as they get more and more I guess, you know, this trip gets worse and worse and worse, basically, later on. And it just becomes quite disorientating and, mm. and quite deliberately so. And, yeah, it just lo loses a bit of something there, I think. It's not one for people who are prone to motion sickness. No. There's a long stretch, it's not a spoiler, where the camera's upside down, doing the ghost yeah. cam floating <laughs> through a scene. And it was, it's probably not the intended effect to make the audience want to leave and throw up somewhere. But uh, I'm sure he'll take it. There's a really interesting interview I read with Sofia Boutella, who's one of the... Mm -hmm. I guess she's the lead in the film. She's the only name actor, I yeah. guess, in the film. Um, she's, she was in uh, The Mummy and uh, Atomic Blonde. She's been in... She's been in quite things. a lot of things. She comes from a, a dance background, mm -hmm. so, you know, it makes sense that she's in this film. The film was shot in 15 days, which is, like, wow. you know, very mm -hmm. short amount of time. And the days were, were very intense. They would come in in the morning and they would do a four-hour... A warm-up dance training session and then they would spend the afternoon shooting and apparently every take was done sort of 15 16 17 times so one thing you can say about the film is it's it's high energy you know the, the actors are giving it a lot so you know it, it it must have been quite an intense shoot but I don't necessarily think that that kind of creative intensity necessarily yields something that i found that satisfactory let's put some scores on this is this a trip worth taking adam i think it is in some ways and, and not in others i mean it's one of those films that i think this is true of a lot a, a lot of cinema generally but it's very difficult to convey the experience of being on i mean in this case acid but any any kind of drugs i can't name many films that really capture that experience accurately i think it's a very hard thing to translate and he does an interesting job of showing how different characters kind of react and respond to it but i would say it's like not one of his like better films right i was probably more excited than i had been for love which like wasn't that excited mm -hmm. <laughs> so i'd say like maybe a three in anticipation i think i gave it a three in enjoyment and a three in retrospect okay. as well david I mean, I think that for him, I would say sort of maybe like a four in anticipation because I think at the very least, I think even though I don't always like his movies, I feel that he's going to shock me or he's mm. going to do something. Like, I mean, I really didn't like his film Enter the Void, but at the same time, I was like, at least he's trying to do something new. You know, he's trying to sort of talk in a new language. So, you know, I'm always hopeful that he's trying to do that and I think that that is the one thing that maybe connects all of his films this sort of attempt to try and at least visualise something a bit different so yeah probably a four and then I'd probably say two and a two I mean it's it's, it's difficult it's, I would say five for the first ten minutes and then like two for the remaining like seventy or so it just sort of hit a rut and just went on and on and on just going back to what you were saying before 
I totally agree. I mean, there is a sort of fear and loathing in Las Vegas vibe. I mean, if, mm. if you are familiar with drug culture and the sort of headspace of being on drugs, then this might connect to you a bit more. You might recognise more of this movie, but like, you know, if not, then it's it's just going to be like just a bunch of people making funny faces. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but I, I mean, I'm just kind of secretly hoping that the first segment of the film is put out there as a clip on YouTube so I can enjoy it. The, the There's something bit. worth watching oh, in Oh, absolutely, there. absolutely. One thing to say also in this Sofia Butella interview, I mean, obviously this isn't reflective of the, the consensus because this is quite easily Gaspinoe's best reviewed film ever. Mm-hmm. A lot of people love this movie and apparently that really, like, he was really kind of shocked when he found out that he was getting great reviews for this film. See, I think that's a, that's not a bad thing in terms of like commercially great if he's going to get more people to see his film and mm. make the next one. But it goes out to like ruffle feathers and to mm. upset people and to create these diversive works. Exactly. Yeah. I th- I'm not sure that's doing him many favours, really. Like it feels like he could have gone a lot nastier and pushed it a lot mm, further. Yeah. And that's the thing. It feels like an anticlimax because of what he sets up and what he actually delivers. You know, it's quite tame. I think I said sort of quite quippishly to my my friend Tim, who I sat next to watching this in Cannes, I've had, like, bigger nights out than that, you know. <laughs> it, it is not that extreme. We'll have to wait for the Adam Woodward story <laughs> on film to see that one. Anyway, thank you very much, guys. That was Climax, Good Reviews and Thorough. Up next, it's Film Club, and it's The Big Lebowski. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Not on the rug, man. See? See what happens, Lebowski? You see what happens? Nobody calls me Lebowski. You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude, man. Your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. Your wife is Bunny. My 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 wife Bunny. Do you see a wedding ring on my finger? Does this place look like I'm married? The toilet seat's up, man. Woo. Yeah. Isn't this guy supposed to be a millionaire? What is there left to say about the Big Lebowski? 
And the Coen Brothers follow-up to the Oscar-winning hit Fargo turns 20 this year, and in the two decades since its release, where it was greeted with mixed reviews and a tepid box office taking, its stature has grown to iconic proportions. We're thrilled to welcome a special guest into uh, the film club closet, uh, Sham Muragaya, artist. Welcome, Sham. Thanks for Hi. coming on. Thank you very much. So Hi, this yeah. is a, a, there's a tidy link here, isn't there, Adam? So uh, Little White Lies have worked on a, a book called Where's the Dude? Yeah, that, uh, so we, you and Sharm have collaborated on. Yeah, we, we're doing a few books with a, a publisher in the UK called Lawrence uh, King. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, uh, I, I guess, Sharm, you can describe it a bit better, but it's basically a riff on um, Where's Wally with the dude from Libby Kabarski. Yeah, it's the dude getting lost on different film sets. And uh, I think we've got 12 altogether. Mm-hmm. And um, you've got to find him in as many places as possible. We've we've set up some uh, dude decoys on each of the uh, pages as well, so it's even more difficult to find him. We've also got 20 extra things to spot per mm-hmm. illustration for each film. Oh. Yeah. Fantastic. But let's talk about Big Lebowski. So, Sham, what's your relationship with this film? Is this one you've watched many times? Oh, wow. Did you watch it before you did the book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favourite films. I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, and Inside Lewin Davis is probably oh, my favourite. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've seen The Big Lebowski lots and lots of times. Yeah, I think I watched it when I was at university, mm-hmm. and then anyone who came into my dorm room would be greeted with me telling them about this film, so I would, uh, yeah, it would be a kind of initiation from my end. <laughs> it's it's such a university or, or sixth form sort of film, isn't it? <laughs> very yeah. much so, yeah. <laughs> very much in the key texts for any 16, 17, 18-year-old. Is that the same for you guys? Uh, Adam and David. I got to say, I can't really remember when I first watched it, but it must be the film of theirs I've watched the most. Mm-hmm. It's maybe not my favourite, but it's the rewatch value on this film is like incredibly high. I think I can never remember which was which, but either this or L.A. Confidential. <laughs> it was the first eighteen film that I like got into on like just walked up to the box office and were like. Big Lebowski, please, <laughs> and uh, and they and they gave me a ticket for it. And I remember it was like opening night, and it was absolutely like packed. And I think I had to sit in the front row or something. Yeah, I think I was sixteen when I saw it, uh-huh. and I'm I, I'm not sure I understood it. I remember finding it quite funny, but a lot of the humour and particularly the plot going straight over my head, which I guess is what happened to a lot of people. I mean, I think with this film you have to sort of like take a few steps back from and mm. it's not just a sort of straight comedy it's not like a Farrelly Brothers film with where you've got this kind of ripe comic character and he's just doing these funny scenes there's a sort of bigger thing happening here and it's sort of riffing on all these kind of L.A. noir films and mm. they love the the books of James M. Kane and Dashiell Hammett and it's sort of mixing a sort of hard-boiled detective novel with this sort of sunny stoner goofy comedy and it's a magical mix Mm -hmm. you you kind of think maybe it shouldn't work I think that's what makes the Coen brothers the Coen brothers that they are able to kind of fuse these things together and and make them tick it's such a fascinating hodgepodge they're taking Raymond Chandler tropes or a story there it's a period movie as well it's in the early 90s if so it's 
a few years out of step with when it was released. But then also all the characters, you have this fascinating backstories about they're all based on real people they came across on you. Like John Milius was the inspiration for um, for Walter Sobchak, uh, an outsized performance by John Goodman that's become almost as iconic as the dude. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I almost think looking back and watching this film, it's almost like The Simpsons, where almost every scene gives you a quote or a line that pops up in everyday usage. This, this, I think that is the simple beauty of the film. Every character, no matter how big or small or how much screen time they have, is given at least one or two iconic lines. Mm-hmm. That's the key, really. I mean, that's, I think that's why it has its enduring appeal. Mm-hmm. Including David Thewlis's video artist? What was his? Oh, I'd forgotten him completely. <laughs> oh, yes. but, but, OK, maybe his wasn't... He didn't have a, a line, but his <laughs> performance is so... It's just, you know, he's like... Cackling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's> re- <laughs> I find it fascinating going back and watching this now, and maybe Sean, the same for you. Like, now that Inside Lewin Davis is my favourite Cohen Brothers movie as well, especially this, this later period Cohen's where they feel much more assured in what they're doing, to see them at this stage where they're throwing so much stuff into this film in a, almost an indulgent level. Not everything pays off re watching it now. The plot in particular drags a little bit. Mm. Um, what's it like watching it now? It's nostalgic. I think mm. for me at the moment I'm like yeah I am comparing it to all of the more recent Coen Brothers movies I'm looking forward to the one on Netflix oh the Ballad out. of Buster Scruggs yeah, yeah I feel like that might be something along a similar line of lots of kind of crazy characters being thrown into the story so yeah looking back it's uh, it's a nostalgic thing but it's garnered so much love for me that I kind of I forget about some of its flaws <laughs> Can we forgive its flaws now, Adam? I think so. I mean, I'm not sure that... What are the flaws? I think, well, for personally, I do love the film, but watching it now, you know, the story is very overwritten right. and very confusing, and you do have to actually step back and say, wait, what was the, what was the actual plot there? Mm. There's so much incident, so much character in every scene. There's somebody new or somebody... You know, on a dialogue level, that playing with the rhythm of similar sentences that recur throughout scenes that the Coen brothers do is just incredible. Mm. But looking back at Fargo, which we covered on Film Club a few months ago, which is so tight and captures a, a mood and character and a story. And then what they do later with even um, films that would come out fairly soon after this, like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm. It just feels that they know exactly what they want to do. Whereas with this, there's a lot of loose threads which are very delightful. I mean, it is a real like shaggy dog story, mm. isn't it? And I think it's quite intentional, some of the red herrings and the, and, and the, the diversions that you, you're kind of taken down and... It's just a wonderful like character piece, I think. Mm. You mentioned the the Walter Sobchak character especially, and every time I return to the film, he's the one. I just think the fact they've taken this character, who's he's made to be like a Vietnam War veteran, mm. clearly suffering from like post traumatic stress, but just they turn that into such a. I mean, it's very blackly comic, but it's just such a hilarious um, yeah. character trait. There's loads of fan theories around this film, but one of the most enduring ones is that the Donny character is just a figment of. Walter's imagination, which I love that. As I, I think it's like that's been disproven, and the Coens have even yeah. sort of poured water on it. But yeah, it's, I think that's quite interesting. Because they they don't talk to Donny really. Yeah. Well, they Walter says thing. "shut the f- up, Donny" uh, over and over. But um, the dude, I think, only communicates with him once or twice throughout the entire movie. It reminds me that there was a period in the 90s, maybe the 2000s, where just Vietnam was a punchline. Like you have an old character maybe wearing an army surplus jacket saying, I was in Nam, and that's a comic caricature. Whereas now maybe there's a a more sensitive portrayal of viewing of uh, post-traumatic stress. Yeah, I wonder how this film would be received if it was made today. Or I mean, it would probably be something 
which would be like put out as a series or on Netflix, and then mm-hmm. there'd be like spin off. You know, Walter would get his own show, and I just mm-hmm. think the, the purity of this film. Well, is it, it's well, just... there's a spin off coming, Adam. Yeah. Do you know about this one? Yeah, but this the thing is like, <laughs> wait, what's the spin off? Well, Sham, you know the character of Jesus, played by John Turturro. Oh, yeah. John Turturro has asked the Coens for permission to use that character in a film that he has written and directed. It's called Going Places, based on a bawdy 70s French movie with Jared Depardieu. Yeah. Yeah. The original, and Turturro's remaking it with Bobby Cannavale and Audrey Tortu described as a crime comedy centred around a trio of sexually depraved misfits. Yeah, well, I was reading about this. It, it sounds like it's going to be a very loose spin-off or a kind of riff on that character. But because I think Turturro developed yeah, that character yeah. himself. Yeah, and it's very much like yeah. I mean, it, I think that's what the Coens do is they get these character actors in who they let kind of inhabit the character and, and sort of add their own their own spice to it. But if this was done today, it would have the inevitable like spin-off series and mm. I just think the purity of this film is, is so it's so of its time I guess but so timeless as well and, it, and you don't need to like add anything more or do anything more with it mm. I think it's like the the film where the Coens started to do their kind of undercutting their own narratives and instead of having their films ending in a kind of way that you'd expect a film to end they just sort of undercut everything and there's a sort of they have these sort of weird slow fades as if to say all of that stuff that happened before was kind of pointless and it just stopped rather than mm. climaxed. Inside Lewin Davis and, and, and like No Country for Old Men is like probably the, the best version of, of, of that kind of slow fade ending. Lebowski is just, even within their own canon, this is entirely unique. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing before or since. I mean, yeah. it, just, it just sits there. It's a, like an un- unidentified flying object. It's just like, <laughs> you know. One of the films of theirs that I, I really love and I, and I gave a rewatch to this week is Burn After Reading. Right. Much maligned at the time. Or divisive one of at the their, time. One of their biggest commercial hits. Mm-hmm. But it's a film that's so kind of like knowing and so sort of, you know, almost sort of feels like, you know, it's this a beautifully put together, beautifully written film that is meant to feel like a kind of throwaway, all this stuff that happened was for nothing mm-hmm. kind of thing. It, it was all for nothing. I think that is like one of the best films I like experiences having in the cinema watching that. Because I didn't, I wasn't, I was probably a bit too young for when the Big Lebowski first came yeah. out. But yeah, Burn After Reading, I think it, that is them doing like proper comedy. And I think the bit where it, the Tilda Swinton character, where you find out she's just a paediatrician, yeah, is like one of, one of the funniest <laughs> reveals. But they, but they do that all the time. They just subvert your expectations and 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 all almost the- like lampoon their own style and their own like the way they kind of write and present characters is brilliant the brad pitt character in that movie as well playing against chad type mm. yeah amazing exactly. he's <laughs> incredible in that film it's just scenes of him sat in a car mm. he's like staking out john malkovich's house and he's just sort of like body popping in the car with his little apple headphones in it it's just really funny and and the the, be- the best scene is, is with jk simmons as the as the head of the uh, of the cia he was being told what's happening by one of his kind of flunkies and he just sort of can't quite get his head around the, the <laughs> stupidity. Um, it's funny because I think a lot of people think the Coens are quite sort of cynical people and, you know, they're quite down on people in general. Like, you know, their films are about human stupidity, mm. about morons. But back to Lebowski, I think that, you know, there's something quite kind of humane about it as well. It's, it's quite a kind of empathetic film. Mm. Um, it's one that's sort of has a love of these kind of kooky characters. Sorry to use the word kooky. Oh, uh, kooky, right. Um, eccentrics. Oh, maybe we can bleep that Down one. Down home eccentrics. Yeah, bleep the word <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a bit of a bonus film clip there on Burn After Reading as well. Is that what we'd recommend people go to straight after Big Lebowski? They make a nice double bill. I think they're essentially the same movie, just mm-hmm. in different settings. Rewatching this, and this film comes out at just on the edge of my perception. I was just a bit too young like Adam to watch it at the time. But then growing up through my teenage years, seeing films that came out around 97, 98 with similar scuzzy depictions of LA, maybe a smart aleck take on genre like Lost Highway, Boogie Nights and Jackie Brown and this. Kiss I, Kiss Bang Bang. Well, a few years later, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Exactly. I, I think those it'd be great to do a marathon of those and then you'll never want to go to Los Angeles again. <laughs> well, there's actually another film coming out next year, I think, which was in Cannes called Under the Silver Lake. Exactly, yes. Which, is, which was, again, a very divisive film. Mm. I quite liked it. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's another kind of weird, eccentric LA noir that, you know, feels like the director, David Robert Mitchell, who did it. He'd definitely gone through the Big Lebowski a couple of times, I think, mm-hmm. at least. And thought? Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most recent film I've seen that has similar vibes to this would be Inherent Vice. Yeah, I think. yeah. Some of the more eccentric characters in that and the lead performance from Joaquin Phoenix. I guess they're not as funny, some of the characters in, in that movie, mm-hmm. but it follows a kind of similar mm. trait. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. The Josh Brolin character in that. Oh, God. Yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> he, he is like a Walter Sojak. Yeah, but he's kind he of totally gone is. slightly the other way. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like stayed in, in the service and stayed in the force. And, mm-hmm. Let's just wrap up Big Lebowski. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find your work and more about you? Uh, you can find my work on muragaya.com. Mm-hmm. And if you type my name into any search engine you should mm-hmm. be able to find lots of my work and the book comes out very soon do we have a- yeah where's the dude is out on the 24th of september oh, um, right. and it's available in all good bookshops and i've heard about this thing coming up soon after that called christmas <laughs> and uh, i think those two happenings could fit together quite nicely nice double bill there yes. crossover well david thank you very much for joining me Adam as well, and Sham. What's happening next week? Uh, I think we have The Wife and Skate Kitchen. And uh, Film Club next week is a classic erotic thriller, Fatal Attraction, uh, to tie in with Glenn Close, uh, then and now, because she also appears in The Wife. Any final comments, chaps? Yeah, one of the other releases that's out this week, which just might be worth giving a very, very quick name check to, is the film Faces Places by Agnes Varda. Mm-hmm. She's a kind of veteran of uh, French French cinema, one of the sort of founding mothers of the new French new wave. She's, I think, 90 now. So she's this could well be her swan song, but it's a really kind of lovely, life-affirming documentary about looking at the French landscape and, you know, the constellations of art. And it has this amazing ending involving her trying to meet Jean-Luc Godard, who's her old pal from mm-hmm. the 50s. So, yeah, would would recommend... Because I think we were pretty down on both the films this week. Mm-hmm. So I think getting in there with, with a recommendation of maybe something you should see, heartily recommend Faces Places. Which is out this week as well. Yes. Perfect. And if you want to let us know what you think of the films we've discussed or any other films we haven't discussed or Donald Gleeson or The Dude, you can do so at, at Lies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolunder.com via email or on the comments section at com slash podcast. Uh, thanks once again, guys, for joining me today. Uh, I've been Michael Leader, and this, as always, has been a 7 Digital production. Shh. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.